And I'm Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. And this is our fourth episode. Yay! Yeah, and um, once again, we're recording at Think Tank Coworking in Yarmouth, Maine, on the beautiful banks of the... Royal River. Royal River, the shining Royal It's a beautiful river. little river. No, freezing. It's um, frozen. Well, yeah, it's the freezing. part I could see out the window earlier is frozen. It's and it gets cold. And so we made it to four episodes. Four, yeah. This is our fourth, right? Right, and it's going to be a hard act to follow. Last week we had Ben McKenna, um, a reporter. He used to be a reporter at Morning Sentinel in Waterville, Maine, talking about the disappearance of Ayla Reynolds, the toddler. It was nice having a guest. It was nice. I'm I'm sure the audience thought so, too. They probably did. And, you know, one thing about Ben is he he's almost too nice to be a journalist don't you think he's very nice he came across as a super nice guy and he is a super nice guy and it was nice of him to spend that time with us and now he's a super talented photographer for the press herald yeah photojournalist he does beautiful photographs he does but this week it's just you and me just you and me momo i'm doing the story this week the burden is on you and again this is the podcast that you would do if you had nothing better to do if you had nothing better to do which we don't right again it's saturday well it's only evening now so we can't always have a guest to carry oh i'm sorry it's sunday it is Sunday. I keep thinking it's Saturday. It's, although the, the magic of the podcast is, ooh, they never know when. Oh, yeah, whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. So what are you talking about this week? Because well. Because I haven't, I know nothing about it. I'll say that right now. Why don't I just launch into my story here? <laughs> Why don't you? I mean, I'm excited to okay. hear about it. Okay. And just... Feel free to ask me any I, questions. I certainly will. Chocolate chip cookie. Okay. So in June 2011, Lincoln County Deputy Brian Collimore knocked on the door of a small cabin at the Pinecrest Motor Court in Edgecombe, Maine, a mid-coast town that's on the way to Booth Bay Harbor. It's just kind of a little drive-through town. It's not. I don't even think there's a town that's just like. It was an unusually hot summer day in the 90s, temperature-wise. He was responding to a call from the motor court's manager, Jerry Pike, who was concerned about a guest. At least this is what I read in one source. Another source said that some a woman from across the street called about, with concern about this guest. Someone had been staying at cabin number seven. And these are those little tiny cabins you see that are like one room with a bathroom, basically like a motel room. Right, you see the whole thing yeah. one in Maine. Yeah, and probably all over the country. A man had paid, had paid the rent for several weeks in advance, said a middle-aged woman who was an artist was going to be staying there, and she didn't want to be bothered. It was, so Jerry, the manager, hadn't seen much activity all the blinds were drawn in this little cabin that was kind of like a hut it was right. a, it was a little tiny and now this is summer in coastal Maine so yes it's pretty some yeah things. some activity right. no one answered when the when the detective Brian I mean sorry deputy Collimore when he knocked on the door there wasn't any answer at first so he was going to use the key he had gotten a key from the manager but before he had the chance to open it uh, the door opened and there stood an old woman with a walker she was wearing nothing but socks and a t-shirt mm. she was frail and confused so there was no air conditioning so, i'm getting to it no you said she was wearing nothing but socks and apparently a did she have underpants on it, uh, from what i read no, uh, socks and a t-shirt all right i don't know okay i just want don't, to what, what are you that's gross uh, she's an old lady i don't know I'm just trying it might have been a long t-shirt. Maybe she was wearing it like a nightgown. I'm just trying to understand what the deputy confronted. I, well, that I don't know because I wondered the same thing, actually. All right. uh, sadly, Continue. I did. Continue. I don't know. She was frail and confused. There was no air conditioning in the cabin. 
so it was like 100 degrees in there. The windows were all closed. What food that was there was old or spoiled. And a lot of articles referred to there was a single light bulb that was burned out, but it's like, it's one room, little crappy cabin, so right. of course there probably was a single light. Paramedics found her pulse to be 48 beats per minute, which is very slow. I think it says the normal is between 60 and 100 for an adult. She was taken to the hospital in Damariscotta, which is a close now, town. Now, Ken, because you know how bad I am at math, how long since the cabin was rented to when he knocked on the door? It, had, so, um, it was about a couple weeks. Okay. The woman was Sarah Chiker, and the man who had dropped her off was Jonathan Stevens, supposedly a family member. Hmm. Sarah was reluctant to talk to the deputy, but eventually told him that she had come to Maine with Nicholas and Barbara Davis and their godson and goddaughter, Jonathan and Amanda Stevens. So how did she end up in Maine? Right. Who was she? Who was this family and who apparently left her to die in a hovel? Right, and where were they? That was where were they? Well, this was this is what you call a long con. They started with this lady for, they targeted her, sucked her finances dry, and then discarded her. So let and me tell left you about her. Discarded her in Maine. Left her to die, basically. I think wow. that's my opinion. If he hadn't knocked on the door. I know what would have happened. Anyway, so uh, let me tell you about Sarah. Yeah, what I have what found out from my I'm extensive very research. To find out how she got from California to Maine. She was born in December 1925 in New York City of Russian Jewish parents. Wow, so she they was were immigrants. She was 89 when they found okay, her. Okay, thank you. Thank right? You Wait, no, it was 2011. She was. She was born in 1925. <laughs> we won't wait. She's 89 or 90 now. Right? Yes. She's 91 now. Whatever. Okay, I suck at math. She was wicked. She was in her 80s. Right. Sorry. Continue. Jeez. She, her parents were Russian uh, immigrants, Jewish. Her mother, Fanny, was a milliner, which is a hat maker for those of you who don't have a thesaurus. I wasn't looking at you. Just, an education. Well, some people. You never know. <laughs> her father, Jack, was a house painter. She went to Brooklyn College, studied biology and geology, and eventually moved to San Francisco in the 1940s to work as a lab assistant. She never married or had children. She was a career gal. She had a brother named Abraham, but he died at some point. I didn't read much about him, but he kind of comes up later in the story. So she moved. She, oh, she went on. He you're said that last time. That. She went on to work at other labs and veterinary hospitals and stuff in California throughout her career. In 1972, so she was in her 50s, she moved to LA to live with her widowed mother in the Beverly Grove neighborhood, or some other accounts called it the Fairfax neighborhood. Oh, she would have been like 28. In 1972, she was born in 1925. <laughs> <laughs> My math was bad. Let's not have math once anymore. Okay? <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be math. Um, you're the one that always asks how old people are. I think that the listeners can figure out like that by themselves. I like to imagine the scene. Well, 1975, she would have been 50, so she was in her All 40s. All right, okay. Thank you. Right. Yes, 1925. No, she would have been six. Oh, Jesus. Never mind. 1925 to 1972, she <laughs> would have 47. been 47. Thank you. You're welcome. 
Okay, so some so it said Beverly Grove neighborhood. I don't know much about the L.A. neighborhoods, but um, the L.A. Times article called it the Fairfax neighborhood. So but it sounds very pretty. It's a busy neighborhood. Is it near some? <laughs> yes, it's near a farmers market and it's near some TV studios. Um, one one account said that she used to see Peter Falk walking around. He was her favorite, apparently. Columbo. Columbo, yes. I liked Peter Falk. Too. Yeah, I liked. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> don't get mad at me. The movie. And I'm just gonna just pitch for a movie here with with Alan um, Alan Arkin and Peter Falk, the in-laws. The in-laws, where they go like in a plane somewhere right. and something happens. Yeah. Right, and and they're being shot at. And they There's some dictator or something. It's a, some right. Sun, right. Uh, South American country. It's uh, a buddy movie back from buddy movies. Talk about together. going off on a tangent. Okay. And, and they're being shot at, and they're going serpentine, serpentine, and they're running. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Did Woody Allen write that? Why did I think that? I don't that? think it. I don't, uh, I don't know. We can know. Google it. Okay, so... I, think I got the name wrong. Her, <laughs> no, the in-laws, it sounds right to okay. me. So back to the story. She liked Peter Falk. Her mother died in 1992, so she was... <laughs> do the math. She was 50s, the late 50s, and left her pretty much alone. In so, this house in California. In the house. In the little... It's a little, like... Um, in L.A. Yeah, it was kind of a little Adobe-style house. At some point after her mother died, Sarah started hearing voices in her head. A lot of voices, particularly though a voice she called Monet, M-O-N-A-Y, a male voice who would comment on the future and sometimes on present happenings. She told an interviewer that she was not sure when the voices started and she just, quote, sort of lived with it. So maybe she had early onset dementia or she had some kind of mental illness, who or knows. Maybe there was a really voices in her head. Yeah, maybe a bunch of people. Yeah, who knows? One day, a couple came and knocked on Sarah's door, and her memory is hazy as to when this happened. She thinks it may have been while her mother was still alive, but it doesn't seem likely because her mother died in 1992, and these people showed up probably early 2000s, probably about 10 years after her mother died. Her next-door neighbor in L.A., Jim Cut. Cacavo, I think is how it's pronounced, says it was around 2006 he noticed the three adults, Nicholas Davis, Barbara Davis, and Jonathan Stevens helping her out. They would help her with shopping and bring her on trips to the doctor, errands and stuff, because she didn't drive. Her and her mother walked everywhere when they had lived. Their neighborhood was such that they could walk to the store and everything, and they never drove. So Jim warned her about them. He didn't trust their motives, although was he giving her rides and stuff? No. No. So, I mean, you know, whatever, yeah, buddy. It's a typical concerned neighbor who yeah. isn't going to help you out. They told him, the, the, the Davises, that they had known her mother. He was very dubious about that. He didn't think that they were full of telling the truth. She formed a fast bond with the trio, though, because probably she was lonely and they were helping her, especially after Nicholas told her that he, too, could hear Monet talking. Mm. So she must have mentioned Monet to them. And then he just, as, right. as a lot of con men, men and grift. You know, the mentalist, he was a con man and was able to oh, read people yeah. get signals from them. He wasn't really a, a lot of And a lot of people like that, they just are, are able to read. They pick up on stuff. You don't realize what you're putting off for information. Right. And they just throw it back at you, and you're like, wow, how did they know that? Right. So between 1999 and 2001, Sarah had taken out three life insurance policies totaling $200,000. They were annuity investments that were designed to help supplement her Social Security. So I was wondering when I read this, like, I read that that's why. So she got them so she'd have dividends later in life. She'd have some money. In December 2005, she named Nicholas Davis the primary beneficiary. So she must have known them before 2006 when her neighbor 
notice them. Yeah. She listed him as, as a longtime family friend. Nicholas Davis. Yeah. So this was in December 2005. Five months later, April 2006, she transferred ownership of her house to the Sarah Chiker Living Trust, controlled by... Nicholas Davis. Yes. Her attorney became concerned and contacted her doctor. The doctor said that even though, quote, she talks to supernatural beings and, quote, hears voices, that she was mentally fine to make financial decisions. And I wrote, what WTF? The fuck? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but, like, I don't know. Someone's like, oh, yeah, I hear voices all the time. Well, you know, we're not doctors. Yeah, I know. That's true. I don't have a medical degree. That's right. By the end of 2006, every legal document in her name had Nicholas Davis on it. Her will, her power of attorney, advanced health care directed. Wow. I know. Nice, huh? In November 2007, there was a fire in her attic. Mm. Bad luck, right? No. She was home. The Davises were there, and so was Jonathan Stevens. They were all in the house when the fire started. And Jonathan Stevens, again, is the... The godson. And, you know, that's a... I see that term thrown around and I don't fully understand what it means because to me it's it, it's a religious thing to me right. I mean that's what it is to well, me but I think I think sometimes people when they kind of semi adopt somebody right. they'll say but the kid looks exact they all look alike they're obviously all related right. but, and, and a lot of the articles refer to a Bar, uh, Barbara and Nicholas as twins Right. And they must have called themselves twins, although the main... You never know what kind. I don't know. Who knows what their names are. He looks like he's one of their son. I mean, or maybe maybe their son. I don't know. But they look like siblings. But the kid looks just like them. Yeah. I mean, he's not a kid. He's in his... Yeah, I don't know how old right. he is now. He's right. in his 20s, but right. still. Anyways, so there, there was this fire in her attic, and there was no determination as to how it started, but the house was not habitable. So, conveniently, Sarah went to live at the Davis home, which was a few blocks away. Well, it's nice that they were there for oh, her when this that mysterious nice. yes, isn't um, it? burst out in her attic. And they don't know what caused it, but I have my suspicions. Yeah. Because it's pretty freaking convenient. Right, so she moved in with them. Yeah, she moved she in with them. Totally All the better control. for them to control right. the poor old lady. So, Barbara had a business in her home called Power Psychic. Mm. She did tarot and palm reading. Uh-huh. See, just like, like what I was saying about the mentalist, he was actually a con man who acted as a psychic. Yes, a lot of times you'll find these yeah. crime fighter and uh, mm. put his talents to good. He's very handsome. Yes, he is very handsome, Simon Baker. B- Baker. Yeah. Nicholas and Jonathan lived in the home as well, as did Amanda, who was their goddaughter. And I never saw a picture of Amanda. <laughs> I always think of on the Simpsons. Mo the bartender. Bart calls him up. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking. Bart makes a prank yes, call. Yes, yes, I know. He makes prank calls. He asks for Amanda hug and kiss, so Mo yells out to the bar, I want Amanda hug and kiss. Oh, Amanda I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Somehow, Sarah's stepniece, who was the stepdaughter of her brother Abraham, so Sarah's stepniece. This is a real relative now. Yes. yes. Sarah, the old lady, her stepniece, who lived back in New York, heard about the fire. So she tried to co- find Sarah. She tried to contact her, and she was unable to find her and was worried about it. So she filed a missing person report with the L.A. police. And some other sources said that Picavo, that he did it. He was the neighbor. And the police spoke to him 
when this report was filed. So maybe he filed and said, yeah, she is missing or something. One of the sources said that it was this niece that did it, step-niece. But they found her. The police found her at the Davis's house. I'm sure neighbors had seen them around and knew who they were. They, they lived close to each other, so that said they lived a few blocks away. And she was sleeping on the couch, and she was defensive when they asked about her finances. I think that Jim, the neighbor, put a bug in their ear about that. Mm. She said she could spend her money however she wanted. Which is true. true, yeah. And 2008, her home was sold for $712,000 mm. and bulldozed. Wow. Her neighbor, Jim, assumed that she was dead because she basically disappeared, as did the Davis family, too. Some sources say this was when he filed a missing person report when he saw the house bulldozed, so maybe that makes more sense. The first one was when she first left when it caught on fire, and that was in 2006. So, uh, so let me get it clear for her. Her niece filed one when the house burned down. Yes. And couldn't find her. Yes. Then Jim Cacavo filed one when the house was sold and bulldozed yes. in 2007. I think that's how it happened. There were there were different accounts I read that said he had filed the first one, but I think that's wrong. I think he filed because the one I, two of the accounts I read said he, and had a quote from him that said, I didn't know where she was and her house was being bulldozed. I thought she, either she was dead right. or something and I was right. worried about her right. because he and didn't even know she had sold the house, which is kind of weird too because, I mean, it was a private sale maybe or something, but Whatever. And the first one was resolved because the cops found her. Yeah, they found at her. Davis's house. And the and second oh, one was okay. still was still was still ongoing. Right. And that because that's how they ended up finding out who she was. And that was 2007. See. So that was still four years. 2008. And now some there's a new house there that some lawyer lives in that didn't know anything about anything supposedly. Nicholas Davis cashed out the three life insurance policies, and he and his twin sister. And his godson and goddaughter and Sarah left on a cross-country trek. Cash out a life insurance policy that you're a beneficiary of. I know nothing about He had our power of attorney and stuff, too. Okay, and you don't have to know this from your knowledge as a human being, but did it say in any of the stories that you read that, that anybody had to declare her? No, it didn't, and okay. I'm assuming that it didn't, because if she had been declared dead, they would so have declared... So maybe because they were annuities or whatever. He well, did. and he had her power of attorney, so he, she, he could have made her do it. I mean, it said he did it, but, right, but right. she could have done it. I don't know. Right, so you can cash out a life insurance policy. Yeah, okay. it, it depends on the type, probably, right. but okay. we'd have to ask an insurance person. Well, it would be nice if one of the stories you read it explained... They the don't, didn't it? explain much to tell you the truth and anyways so they slept on a cross-country trek along the way they met with other nomadic people such as themselves this is what sarah told somebody later according to sarah's recollection nicholas told her that monet had told him everything was fine oh well and so he was passing on that, that everything is fine but she shouldn't talk to anybody so she didn't talk to she kept quiet she didn't tell anybody, gee, I don't really want to be here riding across the country with these weirdos, but... I guess Monet wasn't talking to her at this point. Yeah, I don't know. Thanks, Monet. We want to help you are. Sometimes they would leave her in hotel rooms for days at a time, coming only to bring her food. They tried to gaslight her. Uh, They were making up fake people, trying to convince her that the people were real. I don't really know. It didn't go into detail about that. Maybe they told her people were chasing them or chasing her or something. They were trying to scare her to keep her with them, probably, or to keep her from, I'm assuming, to keep her from leaving or or contacting any authorities. Yeah, it's a controller. And I'm sure the fact that she heard voices in her head helped them to control her. Sarah says Barbara tried once to push her wheelchair down the stairs and Nicholas tried to suffocate her with bubble wrap. Mm. What I was wondering is why didn't they just 
kill her or leave her somewhere in the middle of the country? That's a question for the ages. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So about two years from the start. It, it's possible there were still financial considerations that they needed yeah, to keep her alive. For. They, they might have. I mean, because they could have pretended she was alive. I know. You People know. do it all the time. They steal their social security checks and stuff. About two years from the start of their journey, they ended up in Maine, and now we're at full circle from the beginning of my story, when she was found in the cabin. We don't really know what happened in those two years. They they traveled around. God only knows what they did, because she's the only one that can tell anyone, and she's probably been through kind of a traumatic time. And did any of those stories mention whether they had a connection with Maine, or why no. Maine, why they came here? They, uh, they were just going east, and they hit... The the end of the, ocean, yeah, I, I think that's what happened. Yeah. Barbara had set up a shop in nearby Wiscasset as a palm and tarot card reader. Oh. She applied for a business license there because you have to do that there. They lived on Main Street. They, I think they lived in the same building as her. And Wiscasset's a beautiful little town. It is. It is. Although in the summer, the traffic's horrible. Yeah, well, that intersection with yeah, one is... That bridge. The deputies track... Which goes to Edgecombe, by the way. Yes. Edgecombe is not far from Wiscasset. No, it's, it's probably like the bridge. They were probably about 10 or 15 and minutes. you know who lives in Edgecombe? Come, mystery writer, fellow main crime writer, Lee Waite. Oh, she does? She does. Hi, Lee. I, and I wonder if she, she, we could have had her as a guest and she could have talked about... Oh, about Edgecombe. Well, we can have her as a guest. Or she could have talked she, about Sarah Chiker. Oh, well, she can talk about her books. I know she okay. has a book deadline on Christmas. Okay, so the deputies tracked them down. They were all living together as usual. And they interviewed Nicholas Davis first. The they deputy, found, again, the deputy knocked he on the found, door. He found her. And, and the paramedic, they're like, who brought you here? I don't know how they found it, because he paid, Jonathan Stevens is the one that paid for her to stay in the cabin, and he paid, paid cash. But somehow, maybe she told them, Sarah told them who had, you know, who she was connected with. It didn't say how they found them. It's possible she knew that Barbara Davis had set up business in, in, in Wisconsin. And it's a small town, too, so right. they could have asked around. And they talked to him first, and he told Detective Kenneth Hatch. And they don't say, but I'm assuming he's a sheriff's department detective. Do they have detectives? They do. Edgecombe doesn't have a I'm sure police they don't have police department. So it was the sheriff's, department. yeah. He told him that he had known Sarah's mother. And he helped her, Sarah invest in real estate. Yeah, yeah, right. He said they had come to Maine because it was quiet. Well, it is. Yeah. Hatch later said, I wouldn't put my dog in there, referring to the cabin when he was asked about well, it. Well, that's not a great endorsement. That's not a great endorsement for the guy that owns the motor Well, court. the guy that managed the motor court, Jerry Pike, said he wouldn't quote unquote keep a gerbil in there. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently. That's a common theme, <laughs> that they wouldn't keep animals in there, but he didn't seem to have any problem with this poor woman living there. With well, the... Next, they spoke to Barbara Davis. And you kind of wonder, I kind of wonder, well, she was living, the couple weeks she was living there before the deputy knocked on the door, and now I don't know really how these motor courts operate for longtime tenants, and I know that they said she was an artist who wanted to be left alone, but you would think there'd be some kind of garbage pickup, or the rubbish I don't know. Some of them, I mean, you know. Some way that a tenant of one of those cabins, no matter how little contact they wanted to have with the outside world, would be not monitored, but have yeah, contact they'd have with something. the owners. I, I know. I don't anyway. know. So next they spoke to Barbara Davis. The investigators had assumed Nicholas and Barbara were married, which I thought was weird because they do look. I mean, if you see their pictures, I think we had them on well, our website. Some couples look a lot. No, but those two, did you see their picture? They look. 
very much alive. It's not like well, I thought some, they looked some like people aren't very observant. Yeah, well, but she told them no, he was her brother, and a lot they of still could have been married. And as I said, a lot of sources refer to them as twins, and Jonathan is their godson. But like I said, he looks just like them too. I don't know what she thought this investigator was talking to her about. He started talking to her, and she did not bring up Sarah at all. She didn't say anything about Sarah until he asked about her. Oh, Barbara Davis. Yes, she. He was talking to her, and then he asked her about Sarah, and she well, said that Sarah was family. Well, if I were. Wouldn't I mean, you think she she wonder? If I something criminal and a in a law enforcement officer came to talk to me, I would let him introduce the criminal. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would I'm say, sure oh, she's... by the way, we conned this old lady, burned down her house, took her for everything she had, and then abandoned her. In a cabin and I'm also, she, um, I'm assuming a lot probably about these people, but whatever, they consume me. But she huh. probably has been around the block a few times when it comes to this kind of thing. They would be well-schooled in what they were doing yes. because a long con like that takes a lot of work and knowledge of how you're doing yes. things. So Jonathan, their godson, Jonathan Stevens, was hanging around the apartment too and was asked what he did for a living. He said he would buy and sell stuff. Mm-hmm. If I see a lawnmower, I buy it then sell it and make a little profit. Oh, it sounds like a true Maine profession. Yeah, actually it does, it's sadly. Maine in his Especially blood. mid-coast. No offense. Yeah. Sarah is now in a nursing home in Freiburg, which is actually in the western part of the state. It's toward New Hampshire border and the mountains. It's a pretty little Beautiful area. And all she had was about $7,000 left that was rested out of the Davis's paws, is how yeah. I put it. They gave a bunch of uh, traveler's checks or something that they... Now, you're probably getting to it. What they were charged with and what happened? No. How much money is estimated that they took from Sarah between at least a million, at least a million dollars. Her insurance. Wow. At least. The Davises were charged with one felony count each of endangering the welfare of a dependent person. Stevens was charged with misdemeanor endangerment of a dependent person. They pled nolo contendere, which is like kind of like pleading guilty without admitting you're guilty. So, right. yeah, it's They're like saying, I'm not gonna no contest. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not able to. I'm not able to defend the charges. Yeah. We could ask Matt Nichols that, but we have other things to ask him. Yes. So. so they got. They each got three years in prison, all suspended, which means you don't spend any time. It's suspended no. unless you mess up. Unless right. You and two years. Years probation. probation. Right. So they got after two years, they keep their noses clean. Stevens got 364 days, all suspended, and a year probation. They were allowed to serve probation out of state, but they took off, and I don't think people know where they are. And nothing I have read. I tried to find out if their whereabouts are known. I'm sure they have plenty of identities. Well, if they were violating their probation, they'd be in jail. Somewhere. Yes, maybe if they get caught. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. If they're charged with violating yeah. their probation. Yes. I'm I'm confused about why they were all given suspended sentences, considering what they did to this woman. I don't know. I mean, uh, to me, well, anyways, Maybe let me pled, let me well, tell you some more. Okay, so, yeah. and then we'll talk about it. Okay. At one point, they had offered to pay back a hundred thousand dollars in exchange for a reduction in charges, but the ADA at the time, Andrew Wright, rejected the offer. The DA, who was his boss for Lincoln County, Jeffrey Roschlau has said that he agreed with the rejection of the offer and that he found it repulsive for the defendants to buy their way out of charges with her money. Well, hell, they 
weren't going to be going to jail anyway. So yeah, but they see. I, I'm saying I, I kind of agree with him saying that's repulsive, but at the same time, it's better than nothing, which is basically what she got. And they had no intention of ever paying it. I'm sure they're no. just trying to get out of it. But they also, I I think that they probably thought that they were in for worse charges. I don't think they realized what they were were going to get. I think they, right, I, or maybe they thought their sentences were going to be a lot worse because they didn't get much for sentences. Remind me again what they were charged with in Maine. Felony endangerment of a dependent person, the okay. two Davises, and then Stevens was misdemeanor endangerment okay. of a dependent person. So, and they got no prison time basically at all. In theory, they did, but they didn't serve any prison time. So I think they probably thought their sentences would end up being harsher, and they were worried about that. Their attorney, Richard Elliott, he said that the charges, this is the Davis's attorney, he says the charges are exaggerated. Quote, with all the investigation they have done, there's nothing that showed financial advantage was taken. Uh, yeah, whatever. And then another one of their attorneys, Derek Banda, said, this was rich, I thought, they had no evidence of elder abuse. They were checking on her and bringing her food every day. She was like part of the family. My client's position was that she, Sarah, didn't like the noise from the, a lot of company visiting them that summer, so they put her up in the seasonal rental cabin. Somebody a gerbil wouldn't live in a, or a dog. The who owned the place. Somebody called the local authorities. It was the nosy neighbor syndrome. And I wrote, fuck him. Yeah, no he's shit. He's a fucking dick. Oh, he's a lawyer. I know, he's representing you know, them. But that, fuck no him. Why doesn't he put his fucking mother in that cabin with no fucking air conditioning and spoiled food? Did they, did they have more elaboration on the conditions of the cabin? It just said it was a mess. Just different people, like the deputy said it was a mess and that there was spoiled and rotten food and it was really hot in there. And, and I guess... It looked like no one had been there. I mean, they didn't see any activity, so they hadn't been visiting and bringing her food. Right, and to be the devil's advocate, some people could say, well, that she lived that way. There's a lot of slobby, messy people who live in squalor because they're just lazy slobs or whatever. My feeling is they... And she... And I'm not saying that that, that's what I'm No, I know, but I'm sure people would think that. But I think that they had her so scared and worked up. And confused. And also the attorney, Elliot, what he... When you think of it, what he said, I'm sure he just parsing yes. um, that because she apparently and I don't want to sound like I'm trying to be a lawyer but because she could be argued that she gave consent to all the financial mm-hmm. dealings yes. that they didn't defraud yes. her they yes. were just helping her they were just helping her, her finances straight and so, she so was okay with all of it when the Davises first came to Maine they bought a bunch of real estate in Rumford which is also in western Maine home of Ed Muskie. Ed Muskie, yeah. yes. They paid five hundred and ninety thousand dollars for That's this property. That's a lot of property. In That's pretty much the uh, the profits apparently from her from those, her bungalow. Or her, and uh, it was a bunch of land apparently. And for some reason, six months later, the deal was reversed. And it's not clear if any money ever changed hands. So they either still have the money or they got it back. The people that they bought it from, the Robichauds, would not comment. But if you reversed a real estate deal. You either get the money back or... I wonder if they were somehow trying to launder the money or... I don't um, know. Maybe they changed their mind. Or, Maybe they got... It the said trail. six months later. It doesn't say when, trail. like when... Like, it was really hard to find, like, a timeline because did it happen after Sarah was found? Because right. that would make sense. So six months Like they want to get the hell out of town. Yeah. That. But the other thing, too, is you, you wonder... 
and we'll probably never know why they would buy land in Rumford if they were just looking for cheap land I somewhere. Know. You know, to I and I don't know. It, I'm bad at math. I'm also bad at, at economics. So, <laughs> is there some way to take the money and if you do a real estate deal, either you turn around and sell the land and make more money or make your money back? Although I can't imagine there's a lot of people buying land out in Rumford. They don't have any ties to Maine. Apparently, I can't imagine that they were going to stick around in Maine, especially after they abandoned her in that at that motor court. It, it's just curious to me, and I know I'm picking away at it, but why would they buy land in London? I don't know, but some of the other articles I read, and everything was very vague, so it was frustrating, were said that they when they crossed the country, it said stuff like they went across the country spending her money on property as they went or something like that but then nothing ever was elaborated on so I don't know if they did like they flipped stuff or did something so there's I don't an know assumption that they either own land all across the country or, or they, they have some something they do with buying land with money see if I were an editor on a story about that I would say you know we can't just throw that stuff in the story without at least trying to explain a little to the reader or try to find out, or at least saying it's not clear what was going yeah. on here. Well, they kind of said that because they said that the the main Sunday Telegram story said the Robichauds, I think that was their name, would not comment on the whole deal and wouldn't say anything. So I think that the reporter tried to find out, well, do you know why they were buying this land? What is it? Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. So after she was found, she was appointed a conservator, which is a legal guardian, a legal guardian by the state. Uh, and main legal services for the elderly had learned about her because of the publicity when she was found um, and provided her with an attorney to help her file a civil suit and hopefully recoup some of her assets. When the Davises were notified about the lawsuit, so they must have been somewhere where they could be notified, although, again, I could not find out. But anyways, they filed for bankruptcy, and they filed for bankruptcy in California, so they must have gone, so back, to have gone back to California. But, like, tell me, people, you know, I don't know. Hey, preach into the choir. Um, they filed court documents in California claiming virtually no assets, which I find odd because, first of all, they said they had a hundred grand that they were going to offer as to reduce their charges, and then they also had that five hundred and ninety thousand at some point. At some point, I well, mean, the fact that the real estate deal fell through may mean that they didn't have the five hundred ninety thousand, and that's that why it could fell be. through. You know, I don't know. That's the, true. If I were going to defraud somebody of more than a million dollars, I would hide the money. Yes. So you it would, be coming out of my pocket. but you're bad at that kind of thing, so who knows. In March of 2014, a bankruptcy judge in California wrote that the Davises, quote, failed to explain what happened to the $600,000 taken from the sale of Miss, Ms. Chiker's home, not to mention any other assets stolen from her. The suggestion that the property was all abandoned to the Robichauds, the owners of the Rumford property, is an unsatisfactory explanation and not supported by anything other than a conclusory statement, end quote. I don't get the reference about the property being abandoned. I think they said they didn't have the money because the... Because they gave it to the Robichauds. Yes, and didn't get it back. Okay. That must be what he's referring to, because that's the only quote I heard. It didn't pass the straight face test. That's right. Unable to, or the milk 
what did Matt say? The no, milk through when the we nose. To him later, yeah. Oh yeah, later, later when we talked to him. I, 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 I can see. No, but I, I can see into the future. Yeah. yeah. Monet has been telling me these yeah. things. So unable to file for bankruptcy, the Davises lost a civil suit in Oxford County, Maine, and Sarah Chiker was awarded two million dollars in January of 2016. In, in Oxford County is the county she lives in. Yes, Driver. It's also where Rumford is. Yes, they're and not. They're close to each other. Yes. And I, how did Which she is, end up in Primer? It's the state took yeah, custody of her, and that's a state-owned facility so for her old people. So the whole, so there's no connection between no. Freiburg and Rumford. I don't believe so. I think they just put her there. Mm, Poor okay. thing. I hope she has a good view of the White Mountains or something. Yeah. So she's not getting any money and it's basically, you know. And she's became a Mainer, not her choice. She probably thought she was going to grow old and die in her bungalow in California. Aww. And well, it's just, I mean, frankly, and... to me, it's more than endangering a dependent person. I think it's, you know, attempted manslaughter or, or something. I mean, they left her to die. But no, I mean, I think that it was more than endangerment. They wanted her to die there. But and, it's, and I agree, but there's the distinction uh, between somebody's intention and what the legal terms are. I know. But, but they're scumbags. But also, and I know her neighbor from California, Jim Cacavo, like I know... He's come to visit her. There's a photo yes, yes. that's been that yeah, given to the media yes, that's I've even on our website yes. of them together. So, and she had this step niece in New York. Mm-hmm. But it is a case of someone not having that network of yeah. people that everybody depends on to take care of them and look out for them. And so, you know, there's a vacuum, and it's easy for a false network. Yeah. People know how to manipulate someone. And and and, and the, every a lot of things I read. In fact, every single account said that they randomly knocked on her door, and I do not believe that. I can't believe I, They that. lived in her neighborhood. They saw her by herself. I'm sure. I'm sure they, they saw right. you. If you're a grifter like that. That's part of your job. You right. observe people around you. You look for a target. She was probably, she walked everywhere. Right. They saw her around the neighborhood. Right. They could have spoken to her, found out stuff, or they could have asked somebody, oh, who is that woman? I think I know her. Probably even observed the kind of things she bought and things she did. And I'm sure they have a lot of clues to what would make somebody a viable target, the kind of person you would invest the kind of time. And find out that they don't have any children. There's no relatives There's around. No so she no lived with her mother, but her mother died about 10 years ago. You know, that's right, kind of that thing. kind of thing. And the kind of thing where... And she's not working. She right, didn't look like neighbor, she worked anymore. It took, it she took was the retired. neighbor a few years to get concerned about these people yeah. hanging around her. So he must have not known her well enough. And I'm a horrible neighbor because I wouldn't even notice that, that people oh, were I hanging would. around I'm well, I'd notice people hanging around, but I wouldn't. I'd be like, oh, they must be her relatives or something. You know, I wouldn't even tick my right, nose. Right, but if you were close enough. Yeah, he had her, lived next to her for like thirty years, if you were so he knew her mom. Neighbor, hey, Sarah, yeah. So I see you have some folks. Yeah, who, yeah. Know. Especially if you know someone's old and living alone, All I right. guess. So yeah, but uh, it's just. Ugh. It's, it's a very sad and frustrating story. It's, it's frustrating all around. What's really frustrating about the story, too, is that they basically got away with it. Yeah. Because, and maybe that's why, I mean, they're smart people, maybe that's why they dropped her off more than 3,000 miles from where this all started, because it makes it a lot harder 
to track them down. Oh, and the, the one thing I forgot is one of the reasons they, that's why I think that Jim Cacavo filed a, the second missing person report, because when they, when they found out her name, they found out there was a missing person report in L.A. That's how they found out who she was and how she got there. I think, right. I don't know if she was in shape to tell them much, but originally when the sheriff's department contacted they must have looked it up the database or something but there was he had filed a missing persons report so i think that's right. why i believe he filed a second one the niece stepney's filed the one before when her house burned down so. right and did they did they ever have any determinations about the house burning down if the fire was deliberately no set no no or, they never they never but came. it seems to me it's believed that it was part of the con i'm sure it was to, part of the to con get more dependent on i'm sure i'm sure sure it was part of the con come on i mean it's quite a coincidence if it's not and of course right after everything's in that you know nicholas davis name suddenly her house has a fire and she can't live there right you know come on the just two really disturbing aspects there's the way that they easily targeted and took advantage of her and the way mm-hmm. they treated her and you know it, it feels like there's a little bit of a Stockholm Syndrome. I think so, on. too. I was thinking of Stockholm Syndrome as well. Because she was very She was dependent. dependent on them. And she did. She she said that they cared. Or like, she believed they cared about her. Right. And they were apparently good to her until during it, the trip. It's easy to make someone who needs people to care about them believe you care when you don't. Yeah. You know? And the other disturbing thing is... And I don't want to call Maine's attitude towards convicting them and the charges against them a cavalier, and I know there's only certain things they could be convicted of in Maine. The fact that they faced charges that were handled in Maine and they were found guilty and they didn't have to serve any time or did they have to pay any fines? Doesn't I, sound I like it. Felon- the only restitution they paid was they said all they had was one report said five thousand, but the one I heard the most was seven thousand right. dollars. And then they were, and then they they could just skip out of the state and serve their probation, quote unquote, in some other state. I assume California. Well, Matt will explain later. Their probation has to be kept track of. It sounds they've dropped out of sight, and they may be even targeting somebody else, and they have different names. And they probably stashed the money somewhere. Sure. Some of their acquaintances across the country. You don't lose that kind of money. No. I mean, it didn't sound like, it didn't seem like they were... They were living any kind of a lavish lifestyle. I mean, maybe the Main Street was cast. It, it might be a kind of expensive rent, but not hugely no, expensive. No, and it, she was probably bringing in money with, with her, her calm and tarot, tarot reading. reading. Oh, God. I, that's what, I guess that's and I noticed Susan Collins, who's our senator, one of her issues is elder abuse, and she did use this story as an example of it. So she believes it was elder abuse, even if Derek Banda, who they ran treated for, her like family, ran for DA. I'd like to treat your family like that. He ran for DA in Kennebec County and Somerset County a few years yeah. ago, lost to Good. It bothers me that what happened to her isn't recognized as elder abuse, and that people will parse the terms in order to not convict people. And I know, I know, what happens. I know. But I think on. a bigger lesson for people, you know, you can't always rely on the legal system to solve problems, but people need to, and this is going to sound really corny, right? Well, you need to look out for your elderly neighbors. For everybody. You yeah, you do. You, do. you need to look out for people, and people can be susceptible. But it's hard, because I can be concerned about my neighbor, but so can this grifter, and, and my neighbor's like, oh, not going to know the difference. We don't have a It's a failure we don't have any on the, everyone's part. Yes. Anyways. Yeah. yeah. But thanks for 
You're welcome. And this next time, are we doing holiday crimes? Yeah, we are. We're going to talk about... Because um, the holidays holiday are a wonderful crimes. crime time. They are a wonderful crime time. And, of course, the biggest Christmas crime in recent memory is was the murder of Jean Benet that which happened the day after Christmas. Yeah. So maybe not Christmas, for all we know. And we'll talk more about that. It's come to light again recently with some recent documentaries. Yeah. We can talk about that, but Dr. We'll, Phil. we'll have a nice grab bag, a nice Santa's okay. bag, a nice <laughs> Santa's <laughs> list of who's been naughty. Okay. Maybe I'll even go on my rant about Santa, big lie. Oh, please. Okay. Oh, you don't want me to do that. No, and, you can't. That's fine with me. I know you can say whatever. I sued off of the Santa lie. I was reading an article today in the paper, somebody... One of those boo-hoo essays by some mother about her kids growing up, ooh, because they don't believe in Santa anymore. And that, I never believed and in friggin', that fucker. they're friggin' 11 and 12. If they still believe at that age, oh, then shit. there's something wrong with your no, kids. No, and I know kids... Sorry, along, everybody. I know kids go along with it because they're afraid Christmas will be different if they cop to the fact... You know, though, wh- what but, about you know, Christmas me, being a time when you're generous and giving other people right. gifts, not some Whether old fat I, geezer coming down your right, chimney? Right, the greed level of Christmas, and also the lie level, whether you're Christian or not, the celebration of what Christmas should be about yes. is, and even if you, you don't necessarily believe the, the religious aspects, but about the birth of Jesus and what he stood for, mm. just generosity and good feeling. Why and does peace on to, earth. Why does it have to be sold with this big lie to kids? It's a weird lie, that too. Puts, that traumatizes kids because, because, let's face it, you have to be really stupid. I'm sorry, moms and dads and any kids who listen to this, but though, since we say motherfucker once in a while, I can't believe... If your kid can hear motherfucker... I think we have an adult advisory on our iTunes, so... But, and that Pay attention to that, everybody. Motherfucker. <laughs> motherfucker. I'm going to say, there is no Santa, and your kid is really fucking <laughs> stupid. I'm saying this. Sorry. I, I, I seriously mean this. Your kid is stupid if your kid is 9 or 10 or 11 or 12 years old and believes that this guy is going around the world giving people presents and... You wonder if they consider why does Santa hate poor kids? Because we I have no toy drives. So and how does he get down the chimney if you don't have one? And all that other stuff. And how does he give presents to all the millions of kids in the world? And I know we're going. Well, out somebody to- asked me about Hannah and Santa, and I said, well, since her father's Jewish. Yes, and she she always tells me she and her father She's- are Jewish. Um, uh, we never, yeah, she's five, and I never, she knows who Santa is, and she knows of him as a character, probably like her Pokemon right. that she loves so much, and Pikachu. all that other crap, and aliens that she loves, and she never believed in no, him as something, and I never, I, honest no. to God, I remember being three, I remember being in kindergarten or first grade, and kids were talking about Santa, and I didn't You're say anything. A bunch of morons. I did, I honestly thought, to, remember yeah. thinking to myself, and there is no freaking way that somebody can fly across the world right. all in one night. Right. I don't understand yeah. why anyone believes and, this. But my parents didn't push it. They, they didn't, didn't push you know, it. They, they didn't really talk about it much. When I was four or five and our older sister Liz, who's a year older than me, and we already knew there wasn't a Santa and a girl down the street, Carol Powell, hmm. kind of Hi, Carol, if you're listening. Yeah, hey, yeah, Elmira, New York, kind of gleefully told us there was no Santa. And I can remember we went home to check it with Mom 
and we already knew there wasn't. It Liz is, you know, she has a PhD now. She didn't. Back she's then. smart. She's wicked smart. We're logical kids, and we asked, and Mom wasn't gonna push the big Y. She said, no, there isn't, and we we kind of kept it going. Bill, I don't know if Billy believed. I didn't believe, but Nikki used to remember. We used to, remember we had that. We had this. It was a wrapping paper tube, and we used to. <laughs> Every time she was bad, we used to call up the chimney and say, we're going to tell Santa, and she'd start crying. Yeah. Sorry, Nikki. We did a lot of things. She Poor was the Nikki. Heavy sleeper, and sometimes we put her in the bathroom. Oh, so she, Nikki. But yeah, but we she, love she's you, smart Nikki. Too. She's got. Um, she's got a PhD, PhD too. too. So we don't got one though. No, we don't got no. We got, got no a got PhD no PhD. I got a BFA. I spent 33 years in the daily newspaper business, so that's a. That's a the school of hard knocks. I told someone I had BFA, big fat ass, <laughs> but I actually do. I have a bachelor of fine arts. Oh, I thought you were gonna say actually. <laughs> and I do have a big yes, I do that too. Okay, thanks. But in any case, so that's that so, was a long so tangent. Santa, Maybe we won't need to we next won't week. Need to next time. But we I can, can never get enough of, of that. And send you know your emails, and if you disagree, I'm I'm open to people. We won't care anything you want to say. That they they want to defend lying to their kids. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what we're talking about next week. I remember once Jamie Lee Curtis was on Rose the Rosie Show. Remember Rosie O'Donnell show, and said something about there being no Santa, and Rosie got mad at her. It made uh, me like well, Jamie Rosie Lee. Likes, I like you, Jamie Lee Curtis. Rosie kind of likes the, the. But then that was when Rosie was still in the closet, even though I knew she was gay. Drops on roses and whiskers. Whatever, on Rosie. And we obviously don't. Okay. So that's, I think we're going to be talking to Matt Nichols now about... Something. About, well, about <laughs> people who, who are charged, I think, oh, with charged. crimes across states. Yes, we're going to ask him Matt, about that. It's kind of, yes, yes, so Matt. So let's go to Ask a Lawyer. Okay. Now it's time for Ask a Lawyer. We have with us Matt Nichols from Nichols and Churchill in Portland, Maine. Uh, I guess I will ask the question. Why don't you? Yeah. Oh, yes, thank you. Okay, if somebody commits a crime in one state but finishes it in another, like in the case of Sarah Chiker, which started in California and ended up in Maine. It's like a cross-country crime. A cross-country crime. crime. Well, um, what state are they, in, in what state are they tried? And do different laws in different states ever cause issues? Well, first of all, thanks for having me here again. Um, well, we're happy to have you. Thanks <laughs> yeah. for being here. The, um, the answer to the question is actually pretty simple. Um, the citus of the crime is the place, uh, the place, the state or the county that's going to have jurisdiction to prosecute the crime. What I mean by that is if the, uh, let's say, for example, a kidnapping occurs in California, that person is then taken uh, by automobile across the country to the state of Maine. The kidnapping charge, the kidnapping, the actual taking of the person against his or her will occurred in California, so that's the place where uh, the crime's going to be prosecuted, the crime of kidnapping. Uh, however, in the state of Maine, other crimes may have been committed, such as criminal restraint, that is preventing the person from getting away, um, possibly assaults, uh, things of that nature. Those crimes would be prosecuted in uh, the jurisdiction of Maine. And along the way, again, in our hypothetical, we're using 
uh, automobile transportation. So there may have been various crimes that were committed along that track, and those states would have jurisdiction over prosecuting the crimes that occurred within their states. So is there conflicting, for instance, if somebody is charged with a crime in Maine, and I think this has happened, I was just thinking about something totally different, but it was a, there was a, a guy that killed somebody here in Maine and then he ended up killing someone in Utah too, a couple people in Utah, and they had to, um, does one state have, sometimes have to not prosecute in order for the other state? Or they, or they kind of tussle over who gets to prosecute them first? You may be talking about the, uh, the case back in the 1980s. Yeah, that was John John Juber John yeah. Jobert was the defendant. Ricky Stetson yeah. was the young boy who was the victim in Maine. Um, Jobert was tried, uh, and he also been accused of committing murders in the state of Nebraska. Oh. Now Maine. So it was like a three-state. It, it was a two-state uh, uh, issue, but the crime, the Ricky Stetson murder, was committed in Maine. So uh, Jobert was actually uh, prosecuted and convicted here in the state of Maine. Maine has not had the death penalty since, uh, I'm going to, if memory serves me, around 1838 when the death penalty was abolished here. So he got a life sentence. Uh, then there did become quite a controversial issue over whether or not to allow extradition of, uh, of Jobert to Nebraska, which was a death penalty state. Ironically, Jobert, uh, graduate of Chevers High School. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, so our, brother, our he, brother's a teacher there? Yeah, he was, he was from right here in the Portland community. And, and the Stetson homicide actually happened over on the, uh, in the Back Near Cove Tukey's area. Bridge, yeah. yeah, by Tukey's Bridge. Um, Jobert was, uh, the extradition of Jobert was quite controversial because of the death penalty issue in the state of Nebraska. Jobert actually pled guilty in Nebraska and received a death sentence anyways. Mm. There are some states that have death penalties, uh, death penalty states. If the person pleads guilty, they take the death penalty off the table. Nebraska, uh, unfortunately for Mr. Jobert, was not one of those states. So how do they decide which, say say somebody um, commits equal crimes in two different states, do the states negotiate with each other about who's going to get to try him first? And a lot of times it's a moot point if somebody's, you know, um, convicted and sentenced to death or life in prison with no parole, it's almost like, well, what's the point of sending him to another state to be tried if he's going to be in prison? Yeah. This was like... Yeah, and I take it back. The Jobert case, I mean, that was a long time ago, but the Jobert, now, now in, in, you'll, you'll have to Google this. Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, now that it occurs to me, Jobert may have actually been tried and convicted, uh, may have actually entered his guilty plea, been sentenced to death in Nebraska prior to being extradited back to Maine. I believe that's the way it went. Yeah. He received a life sentence in Maine, and then it became the uh, battle, if you will, between the uh, governors All right. uh, over whether or not to extradite him back 
to uh, Nebraska to uh, have that death sentence uh, uh, carried out. So every state, every case is different. It all depends Obviously. on who's who. The well, back to are. this one, the the this chair, Sarah Chiker one. Um, the people were uh, they were convicted of. of of felony, but it was they got probation and suspended sentences and took off. Um, you can get convicted of a felony and not have to serve. I guess that's a question for a different day. But yeah, not well they did. It yep. was a one year or you know one year also or three years all suspended or something yeah, like that. One year all I don't know. I can't remember. But but the uh, uh, when we do it, I'll, I, when I do this. Well, we do. Uh, let me help you out. We do have split sentences in Maine. So yes, it is. Uh, there are certain crimes, misdemeanors and felonies as well, although we don't use those technical terms anymore um, in the state of Maine. Um, there are felonies and misdemeanors alike that uh, do not have minimum mandatory sentences which cannot be suspended. So there are uh, probably the majority, majority of misdemeanors as well as felonies have no minimum mandatory jail sentence. So the court can't impose a, uh, a one year or an 18 month uh, sentence and suspend it all. Put the person on probation for on a felony anywhere from two to four years depending on the seriousness. If the person messes up on probation, the person comes back and is subject That's to being true. to okay. being sent back to all or we also have partial revocations where they might serve a portion of that sentence and continue on probation. So with these people, they they were allowed to serve their probation out of state, though. So how? No, I mean the only way you would know if they revoked their their probation or if it, that would be if they got arrested for something in another state, apparently. But would that count? I no. I'm going kind of down a. a tangent or no we we it's a good question we actually have an interstate compact among the 50 states an interstate compact on uh probation slash parole uh maine's been a probation state since 1978 yeah, but um uh there is an interstate compact whereby uh a person let's say a person who who is um commits a crime in one state uh, but resides in another state where the probation will be transferred, say from the, the main department of probation and parole, we still call it probation yeah. and parole, to, um, uh, say, Florida. And the, that is an administrative um, process by which the Florida folks would agree to supervise that person. And so there would be the same... Uh, ostensibly, there would be the same degree of supervision and monitoring oh, okay. uh, for things such as so no no possession or use of alcohol or things like that. There would be other things um, that may constitute a violation that so would not re would not require necessarily the person committing a new crime. But if you so if someone took off like and did not report their whereabouts. Does, is that is that a violation? That's absolutely oh. a violation. They're given probationers are given uh, uh, reporting requirements. Okay. Oftentimes, the court will defer to the Department of Probation and Parole. For instance, uh, it will say uh, the probation terms ordered by the court will say 
Mr. Smith, you're required to report to your probation officer as directed. The person, and then we leave it up to the individual probation officer. There are certain people who need more more supervision than others. Mm -hmm. If someone doesn't show up for a couple of uh, meetings, then uh, a motion to terminate that person's probation would be filed in the local jurisdiction. A warrant would issue. Eventually, the person gets picked up in another state, and then we go through this whole extradition process. Um, and uh, eventually they come home to uh, to face the man <laughs> yeah. or the woman, uh, the person in the black robe, uh, to, to face their punishment. Failing to, report, failing to report and, and f actually fleeing the jurisdiction is usually going to be grounds for a full okay. revocation. If they right. can find them. That's right. And, okay, so, yeah, in the, in the, in the story that I did, there were, I guess, it's not up to Maine to to say these people did this in California and you should press charges. It's up to the authorities in California, right. California to, decides on to the decide. Sure. And if they don't feel like doing it, then... Yeah. What the heck? Well, there's something, you know, and there's something to be said for that because a person may uh, uh, commit an act in California that's a crime there and come to Maine and it's not a crime in Maine. Well, yeah. the jurisdiction is in California and it doesn't matter. You don't, you don't get to Maine. It's not as we talked about last time, I think. The Dukes of Hazard defense yeah. does does that does not work. If sure. I can if I can just uh, beat Sheriff what's his name over, <laughs> over that bridge. Over that uh, yeah, get it. Yeah. 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 So like that Bruce Springsteen song. Uh, yeah, I think he crosses into Canada. Now we'll get into sanctuary cities at a later date, yeah. but yeah. that's a whole okay. that's a whole different uh, ball game. All right. Well, should, it's like yeah. twelve minutes. All right. <laughs> Well, Matt, thanks for being Thank here. You. Thank you for having Very me. Illuminating. Thank you yes, for having me. Thank you. And now it's time for our recommendations and reviews segment, or whatever you want to call it. I don't know if we have, because sometimes we recommend things, and sometimes we review things. And, and just bitch about things. Right, bitch about things. What I'd like to talk about today is one of my favorite writers, Dennis Lehane. Yeah. And Dennis Lehane is a mystery novelist or crime novelist. I, I've noticed recently. Mystery thrillery. Well, lots of times when it's a male writer, they call him crime novelist, and when it's female, they call him mystery. Well, you Not know. to get all gendery. But it is. Yeah. Last week, we were talking about Gone Baby Gone. Gone Baby the Gone. The movie, which is based on a Dennis Lehane book. And it got me thinking about his books and how much I really like his books and his writing. He, three of his books have been made into movies. Gone Baby Gone, Mystic River, and mm -hmm. Shutter Island. Oh, yes. And I never saw Shutter all, Island. They're all good movies, but the books are all a lot better. Yes. And that's usually, yeah. I find that's usually the case. It's always the case. And uh, another movie, Jane G Gandolfini's last movie, The Drop, Dennis Lehane actually wrote the screenplay. Oh. And it was based on a short story of his called Animal Rescue. Interesting. That was a pretty good movie. And he also wrote some episodes of The Wire. Oh, oh yeah, In yeah, season yeah. three, the episode Dead Soldiers, where they first conceive of Hamsterdam, he wrote... I think um, that was one of my favorite one seasons. One of the season five. Well, I like season five, although we could talk about The Wire yes. all the time. Yes, we will, we will. But the thing I like about him, when I'm reading someone 
I like, and I think I prefer to read books more than watch movies mm, or watch me TV. Too. I find it m- a much more engaging process when it's a good book. Yes. I don't think at all about the writing. I feel like I'm pulled into the story. Yes. When I'm reading a book that's not that good, I'm thinking about the writing. Yes. And one thing he does really good is characters and dialogue. And, you know, I find in a lot of books... Just like you do. Thank you. Thank you. She does, really. I'm not just saying that. Thank you, sister. (laughs) I find a lot of books, and I was a freelance editor for a while of books, and I also was a judge in the Writer's Digest self-published contest Mm. for a long time. And I find a lot of books, particularly thriller-type or male-written mysteries, have dialogue that it kind of feels like action, buddy movie, faux cool dialogue. Like lethal weapon type. You know, like you get shot in the head, and then you say, oh, I'm okay, (laughs) Oh, I'm too old for this shit. Yeah. Yeah. And his dialogue is good. It's not that stuff, which is refreshing. He does something a lot of male writers don't do well, which is he has really good female characters, not cliches, who aren't just always bitching at the guy about his job that they don't like or understand, but can kick butt sometimes better than guys. And of course, they're sexy, model like. Right. Well, his his kind of are, but. Yeah, he is a man. He has a series. Gone Baby Gone yes. was, was from that series. He also has a lot of standalones. He writes some books that are not totally mysteries like Live by Night and its sequel. And Live by Night is being made into a movie by Ben Affleck. Casey Affleck was in Gone Baby Gone. Yes. My favorite Affleck is Casey. Poor Ben. But one thing I really like about Dennis Lehane, I like all that, but the cherry on top is that he loves newspaper. There had been a string of books I had read, this was a couple of years ago, where all the reporters were quote-unquote media vultures, mm. and it was a cliche, and I read one of his books, and I think it was Moonlight Mile, one of his Kenzie Gennaro mysteries, and there was a scene where Patrick Kenzie was looking for a newspaper in a diner because he was in a town he had kind of been to before and knew that by looking at the newspaper he could get the layout of the town and what was going on in the town and he was a little frustrated he couldn't find one and also in that book somebody asked him how he got his news and he said I read it and uh, I'm like yes thank you Dennis and Dennis also has a character Patrick's friend who's a newspaper reporter who's actually a very smart guy smart and funny and is just not, like all the newspaper reporters I've known in my life well well many of them I won't a say lot that of them. but we're <laughs> but you know <laughs> So, and he does a lot of little things right, and he's just one of those writers, I don't know if people outside of New England, he's a Boston guy, and now he, he's made it big, he lives in either Florida or California, I can't keep it straight. I just want to give him a shout out, and if you're looking for a good mystery, pick up any one of his Anyone. books, and you'll be just drawn He is in, a wonderful writer, drawn yes, I like his. his, I haven't read all, I've read a few, you I, know. I wrote a blog post, it was after I read Moonlight Mile, like a little love letter to him, I might, Aww. if it's still around on the internet I may throw that up on our website okay. so people can yes or just throw it up uh-huh. <laughs> so what do you recommend well as week? you know oh actually it's Amazon I have Amazon Prime for now I think it's going to run out pretty for soon for viewing I do it for viewing but also not that they're going to give me any money for this but you I can't make money on Amazon because we live in thanks Go- Governor LePage and the legislature mother yeah. for some reason I get Amazon Prime I think it was because they were offering some kind of deal on your I, I it was around Christmas time watch 
There was something we wanted um, to watch. There was something I wanted to watch on it, but also they were giving some kind of a deal. Like, So I have it. So I decided one night, I, I am recommending a show that is exclusive to Amazon Prime, which is Tig Notaro's show, One Mississippi. I wanted to watch something because I like to watch while I knit and I'm trying to get some knitting done. And there was nothing. You're knitting I, a Christmas stocking. I'm done with the Christmas stocking. What are you I'm, knitting? I'm now? knitting a present for somebody. Oh, okay. Not you, but somebody that may be listening. Yeah. Uh, is this for mom? No, it's for Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Liz. Anyways, so one Mississippi, it was only six episodes. Um, and I was like, uh, am I in the mood for comedy? I don't know. Because for some reason, I just was watching true crime all the time. But then the, there was nothing that. that I really wanted to watch. I get into a true crime mode. So I started watching it. It was very, very good. It wasn't a comedy like, ha, ha. It's a story that is very... Is it the type of humor like Louis C.K.? Yes, like, yes. Like similar, similar to that. Yeah. Although different. The storyline or the premise is very familiar because it's a person that her mother has died she's gone back to her hometown and yeah we've seen that that happens a lot but it is based on some of it's based on her true life situation and I'm sure she's talked about a lot in her stand-up act and she doesn't have a stand-up act like Louis C.K. does but she does have a radio show in the show and I don't know if she really does because to be honest I don't know a lot about her. I hadn't heard about her before the show came out. I had heard about her because I listened to NPR The Moth radio hour and she's done a few things on that which is people telling true life stories and stuff so and I always liked her and she had that that special where she talked about her cancer that comedy special that I had heard and um so I knew who she was but I think this is a really good show it is it's funny kind of but it's not it's not I don't know if you would call it a comedy the guy that plays her stepfather is is excellent I've heard her talk about her stepfather before and he was he's one of those people who has no no sense of humor takes everything literally and I don't know if if there's some reason for that like if he has some kind of some kind of like Asperger's or if he's just very very literal some people are just he has a hard time with emotion and I know that her true life stepfather, because there was some bit she had where she would say, my stepfather is like C-3PO or something. And then she said something like, I realize that's a stupid thing to say now because C-3PO is very animated and emotional, even though he was a robot and my stepfather wasn't. So, And so this guy, but the guy that plays him, he does such a good job. And you can tell as the viewer that his character really does care for her. And he's been her stepfather since she was a kid. So he's basically a father to her. There are strange, quirky people it's in Mississippi but they're not too caricaturish they are interesting it's just a really good show and I and I can't wait for the second season so and I think John Rothman plays her stepfather oh John Rothman Rothman. see I don't know that name and I don't know if I recognize him from anything but he's good yeah and her brother Remy Noah Noah somebody plays him he doesn't they don't look anything alike and I don't want to give anything away in for the storyline but it's they do mention that he doesn't look anything like her. Which is well, that's funny. good. At least they say it so it's out there. Yeah, he's know. kind of a big chubby guy. And she, well, she's sick. Her character, and I don't know if she really had this, it's called C. diff. I don't know what the long term, but it's a, it's an intestinal infection. It makes mm-hmm. you very sick and you can die from it. Wow. And they have this thing, and I thought it was a joke, so I had to look it up. And this is in like the first episode, so it's not a spoiler, where they have a, fe- a fecal transplant literally what it sounds like somebody who's not does not have that bacteria 
they put it in Apparently the they do. Wow. I and I looked that up to see if it was true. Now, you so you me, learn something did you new. Tell me that people who've had um, cancer treatment because their immune systems are compromised. I believe that that's why she got, yes, her and they did, they talk about it. And so it makes me wonder if I don't know if she actually had it. I guess I should look that up, but We're I just don't a know. Of I don't know nothing, okay? Of not knowing stuff. But now I'm yeah. looking for So if anyone has any suggestions based on what I've just told you but I like let me know, because I am in a rut again. In fact, I watched the other night. I watched a stupid show on, I think it was on we Netflix, about haunted stories, but it was really bad. cheesy, and it was like yeah. come the 90s. Oh, that sounds bad. You know, we would take suggestions from readers about things to watch and then talk about. And you and I were also going to go see the movie Manchester by the Sea, and so maybe with Casey Affleck. And so oh, maybe yeah. We, that. we were going to the movies in a long time. I know. Maybe we can go to that The one last one. ones I've seen have been kids' maybe movies. Maybe we can go to that one in Brunswick where you can drink beer and get That's tops. And there's one in Biddeford, too. Same difference. Okay. Oh, and, yeah. Tell that to them. I know. And then we can talk about that movie. All right. We do that. So that's this week's episode. I think that's this week's episode. <laughs> and just, that's this week's People can find us on crimeandstuffonline.com. Yes, crime A N D. That's our website. And then on Facebook is crime ampersand stuff. stuff. It is. You and you can it. like us on. You don't Please. have to like us in real life. No, you, you don't like need us. to like us, but just you know do that. I like us on Facebook because we know and you can also follow us on Twitter, which is crime and stuff. And on iTunes for crime and ampersand. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or Android yes. or email. So you can review us, rate us, like us. You can go on our website and subscribe, subscribe on iTunes. Make yes. a donation. We're always kind of begging here. But, we do um, beg. We could we could be have better technology that way. And yeah. If, and if you like what I'm laying down, you can also check out MaureenMilliken.com where you can find information about my mystery novels. Yes. Um, Bernie O'Day mystery series. New one coming out this spring, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Just got to write it. Hey, that's the easy part. Yeah. And you can follow me on Twitter, too, at mmillican47. What else? I'm on Twitter. You are. I don't know anything. So are we. we, I'm bad at Twitter, sorry. Little birdie tweet. But I'm okay at Facebook, so. I think that's... That's it. Is that everything for this week? Yeah. You could think... Soundjay. Soundjay. For our theme song. Yeah, don't you like our theme song, everybody? Well, it's a great website where you can get free noises and music and stuff and download it. And And we also, I think we thanked them at the beginning, but Think Think Tank Tank and Yarmouth. Think Tank co-working in Portland, Yarmouth, and Biddeford, but we're here in Yarmouth for giving us the space. And it's very picturesque. Yeah, and we get a nice Here, down by the river. And so I don't know about you, but I have some Christmas shopping to do. I have knitting. Okay. We'll be back here next week. Bye. Thanks, folks. Thanks, everybody. I feel like I have, like, something in my throat. That's what she said.